to another episode of Don the Start. You've got Jonathan here. Wasn't really sure how to, to intro this one. We've gone all season with the, the round number in the, the title of the show. Uh, we've had a match to pre- a match preview to jump into, but uh, a season that started with a lot of hope has gone past in the blink of some pretty disappointed red and black eyes. So, um, so yeah, season re- uh, previews are done for us, but still plenty to talk about. Uh, on field and, and off field, of course. And uh, this week, glad to be joined once again by Ian Hume. Hume, congrats again, mate, on, on your exciting news and, and welcome back. How's things? Are you, are you getting much sleep at the moment? Uh, not, too, not too bad, actually. I think second, we're a bit more experienced second time round. So uh, I think you, you, you're, not as, you're not as worried. You're not like constantly worried that they've stopped breathing or something along those lines. So it's a little bit better. But I was, I was just thinking I should start calling you Maverick and, and thank you for flying solo last week because you did an outstanding job. I guess the response to your expression of passion regarding the club was fantastic. I think the response to not only the podcast, but then when you, you put it out as, a, as an article, it was really strong and, you know, a lot of people sort of shared, shared that opinion. But I just want to give a big thanks to those people who reached out and uh, congratulated me on the birth of my second son, Oscar. Uh, yeah, it was really good to, to have all that uh, that care and support from people who, uh, on particularly on Twitter, just that those people who have um, sort of really come come around supporting us and, and what we're doing. So it was really good to hear that, and just thanks for that. And yeah, you. Um, oh, the other thing is that um, Jono sent me a uh, junior uh, Essendon jumper, Essendon kit. So I'm going to be able to start the indoctrination early with this one. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. For those that don't know, your partner does barrack for the Tigers, and, uh, and and you lost the bidding rights to to your firstborn, so had to get in there early and make sure we secured the second one, mate. But uh, hopefully, he gets to enjoy some success a little bit earlier in his life. Uh, well, it's similar to us, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, and, and doesn't have to wait uh, as long as uh, as we have more recently. Um, but yeah, congrats again, mate. And uh, should we get stuck into the the Richmond review? I think it's going to be a pretty quick one. Yeah, not not much to talk about, I guess. I mean, it was it was a pretty disruptive week, obviously, with what happened on the Monday, and you know, leading into, into the last game with with nothing really to play for. So it's not really worth going into a whole lot of detail. But we've done it every every week this year, going through the game. So let's do it a quick once over. So we looked at their stats and the things that stood out to us was that for the ins- on the inside of the possession, they ranked 15th for clearances and clearance differential. On the outside, uh, they ranked 17th for tackles and 13th for uncontested possession differential. So we were looking at those areas to exploit. Another thing we were looking at in terms of exploiting was Draper in the ruck, jump over Nankervis, uh, and to be a, to be a threat up forward. Um, and try not to be predictable with these hitting zones as well. And then the other one was to have some real burst and carry from clearance try and get some ascendancy on the outside. So how did you see that playing out? Yeah. Um, I thought Joper was okay without being dominant. He and Nankervis had 23 hitouts each. Uh, I think you know, the trend was that, uh, that Draper was able to get ascendancy to centre uh, and Nankervis more so around the ground where he can sort of use his, his body on body strength a bit more. But Draper had the seven, seven clearances to Nankervis's four. Nanko, I guess he's just a, a really smart, experienced player. He knows how to get into good positions around the ground and was able to get more footy. Um, it was, yeah, 21 disposals to Draper's 11. A lot of those were handballs for, 
Fernand Curvis. He had 11 handballs to his 10 kicks, but I think that's always been part of his game. He, he just plays within his limitations and, and, um, and yeah, it's just a, a smart ruckman. Uh, Draper did kick that goal off the ground and, and had a little bit of luck in, in doing so. Um, but besides that, wasn't really an aerial threat. Uh, and I don't think he really worked hard and he wasn't alone, um, I should say, but um, he didn't really work back too often to help our defenders. He only had the one disposal in our defensive 50. And then, of course, had that that fresh air moment, didn't he, where uh, he pretty much had his back to the ball and then tried to spoil on the line and completely missed it. And they they got a goal from it. Uh, it's one he'd probably rather forget. Um, but yeah, I, I think... In the, the ruck contest, he was he probably was able to do a bit more damage uh, and he was definitely a lot more predictable, I think, than in weeks gone by. We were plus nine in clearance, plus three in the centre and plus six at stoppage, which is a bit of a win for us given that that has been a part of our game that had been lacking. Um, uh, but then again, I think our lack of midfield rotations really hurt. Once again, I think Martin went in for two in the third quarter, but besides that, we just used the same four players rolling through there. It just felt like Groundhog Day. Again, uh, Richmond used the six. Well, just just uh, just on that, obviously, Stringer going down really early probably threw out that a bit, although he, he didn't really start there this game as, as he has in the past. But as you sort of pointed out, we never, even if he was, even if he wasn't going to be used or was going to be used, we never really replaced him. And as as you said, Martin for two really didn't help out in the long run in terms of keeping our mids uh, mids at a at a high energy level. Yeah, and look, it probably doesn't. It clearly doesn't matter now. The game's gone, the season's gone, and we're going to have a new coach next year. But uh, he didn't win the clearance in those two, Martin. But he did win first position. He got his, uh, first possession. Sorry, he got his hands on on both of them. Uh, you just wonder. Yeah, like I said, look, there's no point wondering about this anymore because the club's clearly moved on. But you really wonder why you wouldn't look at that and go, "Geez, there's something in that." He's got his hands on the footy. Let's let's keep with it. We've got nothing to lose. You know, Parrish, you can go play forward or Merritt, you can go and sit in a four pocket or, or just change it up and keep Martin in there and see what he could have got out of it in the last quarter and a bit. So it's a bit of a shame. It, I think ultimately any real benefit, uh, you know, we we weren't, we weren't really in the game at halftime, but we, we were also weren't that far off the pace. And, um, and yeah, what ultimately happened in the third quarter is is Richmond ran over the top of us. I think, like we've seen in a lot of games, we we just sort of fatigue through the midfield. Their their fresher, more rested legs were able to get it get um, on top. They had ten clearances to eight in the third quarter. Contested possessions, they were plus nine, and and then they were just they put the foot on the throat and were able to to run away. And and any benefit we really got throughout the night from clearance, we just gave back due to our turnover rate. We averaged 65 turnovers a game throughout the season. We had 73 on, on Saturday night and a lot of really bad ones. And then a, a lack of pressure coming back the other way just meant that, uh, you know, Richmond were able to hit the scoreboard really heavily and, and they had 10 less turnovers than their season average. So, yeah, I think ultimately the uh, what we did around clearance was nice, but we just weren't able to really generate enough scores from it clearly. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was sort of you know bringing it back around to the start of the season. It was the the margin for this game was sixty six points, which was the same as a round one clash against Geelong. And Matthew Lloyd made the point in the Sunday Footy Show that that nothing really has changed. And my my initial thought with that was actually no, that the results are actually quite different. The Geelong game 
was smashed in the inside, smashed in clearances. Whereas Richmond, we, we won the clearances and, and it was the turnovers that was the difference. And, you know, I, I, I was prepared to have a, you know, a big argument that like, we've improved this area and, 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 the end, and that. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a results it's a results industry, and you know it doesn't matter how how you lose if you if you're losing by that much, you know the results end up speaking for themselves, and it leads to the outcomes that we sort of had this week. The other thing you noted last week was that you felt Richmond weren't at their absolute manic best, um, and that their ladder position suggested as much. So going back to their premiership years, uh, but they're winning games through individual performances from players like Daniel Rioli, Prestia. Uh, Bolton and Tom Lynch. So, how did you see how we dealt with those four players? Yeah, not not really good, mate. To be honest, uh, Rioli had twenty one disposals, which was right on his season average. But he had ten intercepts, which was you know best part of double his his season average. And he was he was doing it up the ground too. Only three of his twenty one disposals were in our forward fifty. So he was. He really got up the ground and, and into dangerous areas and had seven inside fifties, which is the second most on the ground. Like in, again, you know the game didn't stand for much really, but you just shouldn't let that happen. Uh, you, you shouldn't have a, an opposition's halfback getting that much of the ball that close to their own goal. And I think it just says a lot about how our half forward line really just fell over, which has been you know a, a bit of a trend and, and pattern throughout this season. Caldwell. Looked like he was going to Prestia when they were in the middle together. It wasn't a hard tag like we've seen him do in previous games. He wasn't coming to the bench when Prestia came to the bench, for example. Uh, I noted the last, you know, last week that in his two previous games, Prestia had had 10-plus clearances in each. He only had the five on Saturday night. So I guess it was a little bit of a win there for us, but Richmond did really share the load. Uh, he's, he, and he still had 31 disposals. He had three shots on goal. He had the most inside 50s on the ground. So, you know, he still had a really productive night. Shea Bolton was probably a bit of a win to us. He, he didn't quite have the impact we've seen throughout the season. McGrath seemed to get that matchup when, when Bolton was forward. He only had the 12 disposals. He averages 18 across the year. He kicked one goal too. So we got a little bit of lucky. I think, did he kick the one that, that Draper fresh aired? I, I can't remember. That seems that seems what I remember as well. <laughs> yeah, I've tried to wipe a lot of the game from memory, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, lastly, Lynch kicked five on Laverde. And, and I think that's something that we're going to have to address. Uh, yeah, Jaden Laverde's developed his footy a lot uh, over the last two seasons and uh, has really proven his worth as a, as a quality defender. But on those really big, uh, strong players like Lynch, He's just giving away too much height and size. To be fair to Jaden, he did get a little bit unlucky. Lynch kicked a couple of his goals from free kicks that were given away by uh, by other Essendon players. So, um, so yeah, I, I think you know their, their star players were, were just able to do a lot of damage. And you know, even Cochin had a really big night as well. So yeah, their, their names just or their class just shine to the top. And and yeah, we obviously weren't anywhere near good enough. Um, but last but not least, I guess the most important thing we, you know, we wanted to see was was Michael Hurley get one last goal, and he just got there. It was a pretty special moment. Yeah, I was worried he'd lost his chance. I think he had. There were a couple of opportunities where I thought he might have deserved a free kick, um, sort of in that second and third quarters, within reasonable distance of goal, and the, the umpires, you know, didn't didn't come to the occasion on that. So I thought he he was going to miss out, but luckily. Uh, in the last quarter, Nathan Broad runs off him to try and impact the contest that he really doesn't have a chance of making, leaving him free. So Massimo is able to find him 
and put it through. And you could tell how nervous he was trying to kick, kick the goal. He, he certainly wasn't confident trying to put that through. But the, the fact that he managed to edge it through, I think, you know, despite everything that's happened this season, I think everyone's going to be able to take at least one positive moment that after all he's been through and that that's in terms of his his injury illness slash what he's been through in his his time at the club he was able to end on that on that note i think that's a really positive positive thing to end on and just i know it's been said a lot this week but what a props to richmond for the way they acknowledge both his goal and him at the end of the game um, as much as you hate to say it uh, they're a much better run club at the moment and that comes out in the respect that they showed early in that moment yeah, I think you've nailed it, mate. Uh, uh, yeah, great, great moment for Essendon, and and really does show the quality and, and class of of Richmond. I can't believe I, uh, it's certainly not something I would have said about Richmond, you know, ten years ago. But they really have turned it around, and and yeah, they're yeah, they're, they just do everything right, really, don't they? So yeah, um, yeah we've got uh, that's right. We've got Vince. Uh, wanting to uh, add something, I'll just bring you in now, Vince. Oh, g'day, guys. Uh, um, how you going? Good, mate. Um, it was great to get to the game. Just on the Laverde um, Lynch matchup, we were at the ground on the night and just wondering, you know, why why nothing happened in terms of that matchup. I'm not sure uh, how you. You saw it. Well, I mean, I just heard what you guys were saying about it, and you know, he was clearly losing the battle. And we may or may not have been in it uh, going into the third quarter, but it certainly really sort of snuffed us out. And I just thought that there was an obvious change to be made there. Maybe Laverty to Jack, and uh, you know, Zerk Thatcher to uh, Lynch, or two players to Lynch, or something. And you know, what was going on in the box? Do you reckon on that one? Yeah, look, obviously I I can't speak for exactly what happened in that situation, but having been in, in the box in situations like that, it, sometimes uh, Zerk Thatcher was doing a pretty good job on, on Jack Rewalt and, and sort of had him under wraps. And I think sometimes coaches can be a little bit reluctant to rob Peter to pay Paul. So uh, they maybe would have been conscious of the fact that, that Lynch did get a couple of his goals from, from free quick kicks and, you know, had a bit of luck. So it wasn't all him monstering and dominating Laverde. And I think maybe the other thing was, uh, you know, you take Zerk Thatcher off, Lynch is already hot. So can he actually bring him back down? Um, and then Laverde goes to Rewild and all of a sudden Rewild pops out and you end up with two forwards that are, that are getting away from you. So uh, look, I, I can't say for certain that that was that was the case, but I've certainly you know experienced conversations or situations like that in the past where you you kind of group them together and you go uh, you know if they if we can keep them to to six between them is that is that okay and and yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that was what they were thinking. Fair enough, Walshie. Cheers, mate. Thanks for joining. Uh, all right, well. Jimmy, on to I guess the the news of the week or or the the one of the major talking points of the week. There was quite a few of them. Um, yeah, Ben Rutten. When it became clear that the club was looking elsewhere, you know, to Rutten as coach, did you think that was the right call or the wrong call to be making? How did you see how that all played out? So mid mid year, uh, particularly after the Sydney game, I. I, went, I made a big Twitter post, uh, Twitter thread about, 
how for too long Essendon's chopped and changed their approach to building a side, and that includes the coaching and the and the coaching panel and the football department. Looking for a quick fix to get back up the ladder, it was important to give a coach time to grow up the list, especially as his team being getting younger and more inexperienced each year that he's been in charge, especially if you count 2020 as his first year. So what was obviously talked about um, recently is in the last five years, we've seen both Melbourne and Richmond stick with coaches that had bad years and go on to success. I think in part, Rutten's almost a victim of doing too well in his first year. So if Essendon only wins seven games last year, are people that going to be that concerned about the drop-off this year? I think he's a victim in some aspects of, of heightened expectations that were probably above what the, the club was capable of. Uh, and I guess he's also a victim of the fact that it seems that particularly around these internal reviews, he didn't quite have the full support of the, the football department behind him. You know, we hear, we're hearing a lot of rumors and, you know, there's a lot of scuttlebutt out there about faction factions and the like. And, you know, you can't, you can't be successful if, the entire club is not pulling in the same direction. So I think he's a victim there as well. So my overall opinion really is that he should have seen out his contract. The external review, which should have really happened mid-year instead of the internal review, should have been allowed to take place. He should have been allowed to see out his contract or or go into the third year of his contract with the structures put in place by the external review to see whether he was going to be the person to take the bombers forward. So... And that, that's that's in part now because now that uh, now that North and GWS have selected their coaches, uh, no other side's looking for a senior coach. So it's not like you're in a in a competition anymore to to get the next best senior coach. You've got time to look at that next year. If you if we're in that position, we're in the same position halfway through next year. It's much easier to end his contract and start that process. But after reading a lot of what's come out. I think the the thing that stood out to me that's been released is that he didn't really have the strongest relationships with the majority of his players. And so that sort of tempered my my opinion somewhat. You know, over over three years, you would think he'd have have a lot stronger relationships with the players and be able to get the best out of them. So while oftentimes, though, that's just things are presented in the media that way to retroactively justify a decision. So it's hard to say how accurate these are unless you actually spoke to the players themselves. So I guess... It's hard, it's hard to say. I, it's not the decision I would, have made, I would have made, but overall, I think we just all want to thank Ben for his service, the Essendon Football Club, and wish him all the best with his future endeavours. You know, based on his results as an assistant coach at Richmond, I doubt he'll be out, out of work for long if he wants to continue to be involved in the AFL. Yeah, well said, mate. I, I think there's there's so many gaps and, and has been at the club for a long time, irrespective of uh, of of who our coach was or, or Ben Rutten, you know, in, in player development, in, in leadership on and off the field uh, that, uh, you know, I think he, he was a, a part of the problem and, and certainly not the problem. And, and that's obvious by the, the, the other events of the week. And I think it's, it's hard to know really whether he's a good senior coach or not. Um, you, you know, he probably didn't, the, the, his introduction that that handover with Worsfold was, you know, was fundamentally wrong and, and didn't work. He he hadn't had a lot of experience at, at assistant level, assistant coach level compared to, you know, Adam Kingsley's just won the the GWS job, and I think he's been an assistant coach for sixteen or so seasons now. So it's a very different level of apprenticeship. So uh, yeah, I I still sit here today, not really sure whether he's he's a good coach or not. Is he? Yeah, I, I'm I'm still a bit bemused by, it, but you know, anyway, we. 
I, I guess we move on. I think one of the things that is interesting is, you know, Hawthorne, even today, one of the media outlets released their season review of them and, and they got talked up uh, for the season that they had. And, and obviously, and we rightly get talked down, but they ultimately only won, you know, the eight games, we won seven. So one extra game and, you know, Hawthorne season gets a big tick, ours gets a big cross. And I appreciate we went backwards on last year and they've gone forward somewhat. Um, but, you know, they also got some players back, Sicily and um, uh, Sicily, Gunston played more games than those types. So, you know, they they got some experience back into their side and, and we lost it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a strange one for me. But I I think our best footy, the best footy that we played this year does still stack up and given, especially given the age and experience profile of our list. But I guess in the end, it's not really the number of losses is that it's, it's the way we lost and, and the number of games where we were just largely uncompetitive and got blown away uh, it certainly isn't becoming of, of the quality of, of playing group that we have. I, I think there's been some things throughout his tenure that, that have concerned me and things that we've spoken about. To be fair, I think that was happening under worse fault as well. You know, too often we got beaten by the same things, whether it was allowing you know opposition halfbacks to get too much of the ball and um, and get up the ground like we saw with Daniel Rioli or or what we saw on the weekend and, and in multiple games throughout the last couple of years where we just didn't rotate our mids. Um, uh, the, uh, rolling a half forward up to the contest and, and leaving a plus one in our back line. And, and sorry, in our forward line was a, was a real theme and, and we just did nothing about it in a lot of games. So I guess, yeah, we, we got beaten a lot by the same mistakes. And, you know, I was, I was prepared to back him um, if he was given the right support. But, yeah, I, I guess it is it is what it is now. That relationship piece with the players that, that you mentioned, if there is any real truth to that, then it makes the decision that the board made a no-brainer, really. But, yeah, like you, I, I wish him all the best and I'm sure it won't be long before, you know, the AFL world sees him again in, in some capacity. Uh, but moving on from the coach, I guess the other big one was the, the news which felt inevitable, I guess, once the external review was announced about Xavier and, and some of the board members stepping down. What's your view on things there, mate? I think this this is not a this is not a unique view, but Xavier Campbell gets a big tick for the financial side of the ledger. Um, obviously, we're in a really bad spot uh, around those saga years, and you know, with less capable uh, financial management you know, we could be in serious, in a serious hole at this point. So the fact that we're not, you know, big tick, absolutely. However, what I think that's done is come at the cost of other areas of the club. And as a, as a CEO of the club, he's also needs to be judged on his, the success of his football uh, appointments. Because ultimately an AFL club is in the business, you know, the premiership isn't awarded based on yearly profit or membership numbers. So again, you have to mark his time at the club down because, because of that. I think he also contributed to the lack of culture you brought up in your monologue last week and how the clubs really got away from the fans, either through only interacting through their own channels or behind high price events where people had to pay for access. I saw today saw today on Twitter, there's a, a $3,500 ahead uh, events for the 150th, um, 150th season celebrations that uh, James Heard speaking at. So uh, and I think you brought up the the 150th uh, dinner it was $495 and not even really acknowledging the, the work of life members. And I think that, that sort of thing really permeates. So just, just something that, that hasn't been brought up and it's a small thing, but one, one thing I learned this week was uh, the Bigfooty Essendon board 
they they pull money uh, amongst the posters uh, to sponsor to do player sponsorship, and so this year they they sponsored Archie Perkins and Mick Martin, and they have a uh, a board podcast, and I've been on that a couple of times, and they they'd asked the club if you know if the players that they had put money into sponsored could appear on on an episode, you know, just for a, just for a small bit, you know, just as a you know a show of thanks for for supporting them that way, and which I don't think is an unreasonable request in that situation, but the club said no as they felt it was a conflict with their own podcasts, which to me is, is, is weird because Sam Draper's allowed to have his own separate podcast from the club run once. So I think, and there's, there's a lot of things which are brought up. If you've listened to a lot of the other um, fan, fan podcasts and, and, and fan forums, you know, you can point to a myriad of examples where the club's not really being run for the fans. It's, it's being run on the, on the back of, of fans money, but it, sort of doesn't feel like it's being run for the benefit of the fans. So I think hopefully the new administration can bridge the gap between the fans and the club. Obviously you don't just follow what the fans, the whims of the fans, but you also have to, you also have to do more in terms of engaging them and keeping them connected to, to the players. They can't just be sealed off in their own little bubble there. Yeah. Good summation, mate. I, I, you're right. I don't think you can understate the financial burden the club was left in, you know, due to a borrowing funds to to redevelop the hangar, and then also what happened with the supplement saga and, and the legal fees that came with that. Uh, and then on top of that, we've had two interrupted years through COVID. Um, and I think from memory, throughout all of you know through the saga and, and everything that was going on, we were able to retain our commercial partners. So I think you know that is a big tick. But let's also acknowledge that. By and large, it's the fans that put their hands in their pocket to to fund the redevelopment, to to pay off the debt. Uh, you know, we all got asked to to tip in as part of our membership renewals and the like. Uh, you know, most of our or so many of our fans could continue their membership payments throughout lockdowns when they couldn't go to the footy and bought merchandise and uh, memorabilia and all of those things. So, you know, as as much as the CEO should get a, a bit of a tick for doing that, I think. It also speaks to to the passion and, and the love that the fans have that they they're prepared even when we're not playing well and haven't for a long time to continue to to put their hands in their pockets to to help the club be successful and, and do that in good faith that good decisions are going to be made and and I think ultimately that hasn't been the case so I think yeah change is, is necessary it's it's overdue uh, and it's a chance to move forward and and I'm confident that Dave Barham will do absolutely everything that he can to get Essendon back to being an on-field success and a club that, you know, all of us supporters can feel connected to once again. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems to be moving pretty quickly, which is which is encouraging, especially considering the time of the year that we're at. Um, you know, he, his name's really familiar to me. Um, I know he's been in support for a long time, but he was the, he was the guy that, that really turned the big bash into a, into a major success when he was, he was running the show on 10 um, just the way that that was marketed and, and, and organized and, and the way that, that, that sort of felt, you know, the connection that people built for the big bash. So if he can uh, make Essendon as successful as he made that product on channel 10, then I think we're on to a winner. Yeah, I think so, mate. Yeah. So I guess moving on to, to his statement, I think, people are still a bit confused about what he's meant by the term experienced coach. And I guess, how do you, how do you interpret that? Does that mean people who have only coached AFL already 
or is it a broader a broader view for people who've been in the system longer than than Rutten had when he got to Essendon, which was about you know if you if you look at when he took on the job, it's probably about four years of being an assistant coach before becoming the senior coach. Yeah, I I have to admit I took it as someone who who had experience in coaching. Uh, I, I thought it was a bit of a differentiator between someone like Ben Rutten who hadn't been in the system for all that long, uh, compared to again using that that Adam. Um, Adam Kingsley uh, example. Uh, I, I will say that someone that uh, that I know quite well, and and you know as well, mate. I, I won't mention his name because I haven't asked his permission, but uh, he's in the AFL media, and he was at that first press conference that has um, has received a, a lot of, um, I, I guess, got a yeah, got a lot of heat and and critique for it but he he did say that in in his time in the media it's one of the more hostile environments he's seen and that all of that considered he actually thought from a a media representative's eyes he thought that that it was actually quite a good performance and he felt that that where he went wrong was that he started off trying to be really honest and and you could see that when Xavier's name was first mentioned I I think his comment was uh you know I don't really know Xavier I haven't worked with Xavier much Xavier and I are going to have to need are going to have to have a long talk and and to me that was a real strong sign that that there was you know disappointment in how things were being run and and then the the questions opened up to the media and and I guess he'd already gone down a path that that he then couldn't go back to just you know um controlled agenda type of lines and and comp- towing the company line and and I think he got himself a little bit stuck so uh, yeah, I guess just a little bit of context from someone who sits on the other side of things um, about how that went down. But to your question, mate, I, I, yeah, as I said, I, I took it as someone who's who's had experience in coaching, and and my hope is that re- regardless of who we go, it's someone who has experienced multiple clubs, multiple types of setups, has worked under different senior coaches. Uh, and just to give some examples, these aren't endorsements or I, I actually don't have a view on or, or a preference, to be honest. I, I think the benefit that the club has, I know we've we've got trade and draft and stuff coming up and we need to make a decision, but we're also not in a competitive environment anymore, as you mentioned. So we do have an element of time to really go through this thoroughly. But if you look at someone like Adam Uze, who's just missed out on the on the Giants job. He's been in the coaching system for 11 seasons at Hawthorne. He was involved in development and, and was a specialist goal kicking coach. Uh, he took Hawthorne from 48% goal conversion to 57 under his watch and, you know, an area that we've struggled with at times. He's then coached uh, midfield and, and defense or backs and, and has obviously been at the two clubs as, as well, Hawthorne and Melbourne. So, you know, that's a pretty impressive apprenticeship. Something I really like in in senior coaches is is guys that have coached their own teams before. Mark McVeigh uh, coached the under sixteens and the under eighteens uh, at for the New South Wales ACT Rams at, at um, championship level, uh, and was also the head coach of the Giants Academy. He spent seven years there as as um, as an assistant coach of the Giants, and of course had those thirteen games under his belt this year. So he's more so been at one club, but but has had that experience of coaching teams as well um, at, at various levels. And and I think that academy experience working with young players is important given the age demographic demographic of our list. Uh, Dean Solomon's 
spent a year at Frio and then nine years at the, at the Gold Coast and then, of course, has been at the Giants this year as a, a support to Mark McVay. So he's he's had some some solid experience. And then from all reports, has used this year as a bit of a sabbatical, but also to expand his learning and development around coaching. Uh, Ash Hansen's a name that hasn't really been mentioned uh, much, but he's he spent nine years at the Bulldogs and he coached their VFL team for three seasons, including the 2016 VFL flag. So again, that experience of actually coaching a team on game day and, and this year at Carlton, he's said to have had a big impact on their forward structure. So I think he's he's someone that, that could be really interesting and um, yeah, and have some really strong experience in the AFL coaching system, despite not having been a, an AFL senior coach, albeit you know, Mark McVeigh's done it for a dozen games and I think Dean Solomon did a few at the Gold Coast. But yeah, I, I think there's some really strong experienced coaches out there. Yeah, so the, obviously those are the the assistant coaches. What about the ones who've ha- who have had a crack at, at being a senior head coach and, you know, for whatever reason hasn't worked out? Have any of those really appeal to you? Uh, yeah, again, look, I, I don't really have a, an, a, a strong preference for anybody. I just hope that we get the... <laughs> the old cliche, the process, right. But I, I hope we do speak to Don Pike. I, I know that camp uh, was a big problem and I don't want to understate that. I also don't want to pretend to understand the, the impact that that's had. I, and I don't know what involvement he had in organising that or, or how it, it all played out. But uh, not ignoring it, but if we put it aside for one moment, he did get the Crows to a grand final. Uh, so, you know, that that's a big tick. And, and they were a club that they did have a strong list, but they are also a club that obviously went through some pretty unthinkable uh, situations with the passing of Phil Walsh. So, uh, and, and then he's been at the Swans more recently and is said to really have helped their ball movement and, and how they, they carry and, and use the ball on the Swans. You know, if you rewind 12 months or so ago, they had a list that, again, is similar in age. A lot of young players that have come through and developed really quickly into strong players. So he's one that I would hope we'd speak to in, in some capacity. And then, um, and Justin Lepich is, is the other one. Uh, yeah, his, his senior coaching record doesn't look good on paper, but I think people need to remember that he took over a Brisbane list and, and a club that was in a, a world of hurt. They, they'd lost a lot of really good young players, a lot of high draft picks, the uh, you know some of the decisions that were made, list management decisions that were made under Voss really did leave them in a in a world of pain. Uh, he then played a really key role at Richmond and and now at Collingwood. So again, you know, coached his own team, been at three clubs, obviously had a lot of success as a player, uh, coached different, uh, coached in different parts of the ground as well as an assistant. So yeah, there there are a couple that I hope are on the on the short list. Yeah, and there's even the potential of poaching a, a coach from another club. So, you know, I think the, the dream would be trying to get Damien Hardwick to come back, but I doubt that's even a realistic possibility or, you know, trying to get Simon Goodwin or someone like that. Uh, but the one, the one the coach that is currently coaching that springs to mind is Ken Hinckley. There was a really good article in Footyology this week uh, promoting him as an assistant coach. And I know he's got a lot of detractors amongst uh, Port fans, but if you have to remember that when he took that job, they were an absolute rabble. This, that was the era of tarps on the tarps across Adelaide Oval because they, they just didn't have anyone going there and their results were, were dreadful. And he's, he turned them around in a relatively short space of time and they've, they've pretty much been a consistent contender since then. Obviously, this year, they dropped, they dropped back a bit, but if you look outside of those first five games, you know, they were really strong and, and took it up to most of the top eight there. 
he's only got one year left on his contract. Uh, you know, I don't know what I can't imagine working for David Koch does does well for your your feelings of job security. So he might like the stability of a longer term deal. Be prepared to prepared to take that on. So he's someone I I think should be at least approached uh, to see if he's interested. But I guess based on what we've, we've spoke about the last couple of weeks, overall, I don't think the coach is the biggest issue at all. It's clearly cultural and structural issues at the club need to be addressed before any success will come, regardless of who's coaching the side. So, uh, this external the external review and putting and getting that that right, I think, is more important than who's coaching the side. Yeah, I I think that's that's right, mate. The one thing that that does attract Ken Hinkley, or, or I find attractive about Ken Hinkley coming to coaches, mm-hmm. is the reaction from David Kosh. Um, I think that would be uh, pretty incredible. Not that that should be a, a, a criteria in appointing a new coach, but yeah, geez, it would be funny. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. That there's a lot of cultural and structural issues that we need to address. I think the right coach helps to drive those, but but they they have to be outlined before we can make a decision on the coach, uh, and and then ultimately they're they're not going to be able to do it on their own. That it's going to need to be a, a top to bottom and bottom to top type of approach um but yeah away from coaches and boardrooms and all of those kind of things mate we we had a, a question from Bugnish on twitter last week about some of the fringe players we might let go we've obviously seen a couple of changes to the list already uh mm-hmm. and you're going to uh, uh pretend pretend your adrian dodoro for a few minutes and jump into the the list manager's seat uh give us a rundown on on the current situation mate and, and how do you see it um you know who who are the current ones that are out of contract well i'm about three jackets short of what adrian normally wears at the moment so not sure i'll live up to quite up to his standards but i'll, I'll give it a go um so if you, you look at the afl list you've got 44 list spots available you can have 36 to 38 senior listed players so we came into the season with 36 senior listed players uh three retirements so amt hurley and smith I've already announced that we're not offering McDonough and Cutler a contract. And so that leaves uh, Brand, Ham, Air, Francis, Heppel and Stewart as out of contract. Then if you look at the rookie list, uh, so we had eight rookies. Uh, The amount of rookies you have depends on how many senior listed players you have. uh, And that includes our two uh, Cat Bs. And then because of the way the mid-season draft works, we also added two mid-season draftees there. So... Currently, of our rookies, we have Martin, Durham, D'Ambrosio, Voss, and Wanganine all contracted. Uh, currently out of contract is Baldwin, Menzi, Waterman, McBride, and then Hurd, obviously, was not offered a contract as well. So we currently have 30 players contracted out of 44 total, and it leaves uh, Brand, Ham, Air, Francis, Heppel, Stewart, Baldwin, Menzi, Waterman, and McBride as out of contract. Now, you can move uh, players from the rookie list to the senior list. I expect at least one of those uh, contracted rookie players will get moved. I, if I was going to guess, I would say Martin is probably number one and then maybe they might want to do Durham as well um, to fill that out just so they've got the space on the rookie list to do supplementary selections and, and mid-season drafts. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out. So of those out of contracts, mate, I, I agree, by the way. I'd, I'd be shocked if Martin and Durham didn't get promoted to the senior list, but I, I suspect if they can manage it, they might hold... D'Ambrosio on the on the rookie list to, to keep a spot open, but yeah, those that are, are out of contract, uh, again, you're you've got the three or four jackets on. Who it, uh, who are you trying to sign up first, and, and in what order? Yeah. So I've 
put this into three categories. I've got my, and I've color coded. So I've got my green, green categories are must sign. I've got my orange, good to sign. And then my red, uh, probably not. Uh, so my must signs are Baldwin. I think he's shown enough, particularly in the VFL, that he could be a really good option. He just needs more time. Um, Dyson Heppel, uh, I know some people have already packed his bags to the Gold Coast, but you know, with Hurley retiring and just the, the nature of our list, we need experienced players. It doesn't mean he's going to be captain or, or play every week, uh, you know, but we, need, we still need him on the list at the very least for that age profile aspect of it. Uh, Stuart, uh, I think we talked uh, recently about, you know, the importance of having players who can fill roles. And he's, show, he's shown enough that he can be a good player. And uh, I know there was talk of him getting a two-year contract, which he hasn't, uh, hasn't been signed yet. Uh, but he's a key one there. And then Brand. I have, I have Brand as, as a lock because I think he's performed better in, in the VFL. But uh, I think you could one of Brand or Air should be locked in. And then you, you, you see what else is out there for, in terms of the other one. Uh, in the middle bracket, I've got Menzi. Um, I know others probably uh, have a different opinion um, and having him as a lock. I'm a bit bit iffy on him, particularly in, in the forward pressure aspect of, of the role. Uh, his VFL tackle numbers don't really scream must keep to me, um, but I'm not going to be you know throwing the toys out of the cot if he gets a contract. Uh, Francis, I think, is unlikely to get a contract. We'll be looking to looking somewhere else. And then McBride's had, had three years on the list, I think. You know, I think he, he's performing well. And, you know, if, if they were going to get rid of him, they probably would have let him go with Hurd. But um, there's a chance that they keep him around. And then I just think uh, Ham, Braden Ham, I think, is he's gone. Um, I know you, you like him and think there could be a spot for him on an on a AFL list. Um, and Waterman, I just think, I think he's a good player for what he does. But I, I think he's a luxury player. I don't think a team like us can afford him. You could, you could put him in a, in a Melbourne or a, a high performing team where his weaknesses aren't going to get shown up and, you know, you could just kick goals. So I, I, I think I compare him to say a Tory Dixon in, in the Bulldogs premiership side, uh, that, that sort of role. Um, but I just don't think we can carry him. And unfortunately I think he'll just, he'll miss out there. Yeah. I, I think he would be, a, he would get a, a kick more goals playing in a, in a side like Melbourne, but I think they would never pick him because of his uh, his lack of work rate and, and what he does going forward. I yeah, I, I think that's a good summary, mate. Um, I, I like what I've seen of Menzi. I I haven't seen a lot of VFL this year, just just bits and pieces. But what I have noticed in in his two AFL games is that he does get up the ground. So I'm not if if his VFL form was similar, uh, I'm not surprised that he's inside fifty or forward 50 tackle numbers are, are low, given that he, he actually spends more time outside the 50 than than in it. I, th- I think he's got good skills. I think he knows how to find the footy. That small forward, half forward role is not an easy one to play. Um, I think his work rate's pretty good, and, and it's a, a part of our list that we don't have a lot of strength in. Um, I agree. Yeah, as I mentioned, I agree with you on Waterman. I, I can't see him being on the list next year. And then, yeah, Ham, I... I, I I'm not a, a ham hater like a lot of people are or, or a disliker. I think he's he's got a really good engine. Uh, he's He is a good user of the footy. I think there there could be and, – and there's been some interest in him, I think, over the last couple of years. Well, I, I know that has over the last couple of years. So it wouldn't completely surprise me if he was someone that's that, that could complement a, a list and, and add something to but – uh, I don't think he's a player for us to, to take us forward. Um, a question without notice – 
mate, and, and we can park this one to the agenda for next week. But if you were, a, instead of being the list manager of Essendon, if you were the list manager of any other club, do you think they'd be offering Matt Guelphie two years? Based on based on his year? Uh, you may, I mean, you look at, say, a West Coast. West Coast could probably use him with an ageing list. He'd, he'd fill a gap there and you'd probably need to give two years to get him over. Um I I, th- I think he deserved two years. I think I I was happy with the two years. I know you're not as as high on on Guelphie. Um, we've talked about this in the past um, that you think one would be enough, but I think there's, there probably would be enough interest from a club like West Coast uh, to to get him back. That we probably need to give him give him two years in order to keep him. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, fair call. We, we might agree to to disagree on that one, of course, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I, I think two years for a guy who probably played 10 good games this year is, is probably a bit much. But uh, we've also got a hole in, in that age demographic and, and he is a, a bit of a barometer and a popular player around the group. So I, I get that, it, that it's, it, it's a bit more of a complex decision. But he, he just reminds me of someone a bit like Mark McVeigh who signed a lot of one-year deals and it, it really helped him to get the best out of himself knowing that he had that over his shoulder. And, and I wonder whether he might have been someone like that. But... Um, are there any players that that have a contract? We'll we'll have a deeper discussion, I think, about list in the coming weeks. But uh, just quickly, any players that are that have a contract that you might look to try and move on? So we've previously spoken about Nick Bryan. We had a bit of a debate about him a couple of weeks back. That he's an asset that we could potentially use to get something valuable that fills a, a bigger hole in the list. So. As, as I said, when when we discussed it, it needs to be a favourable trade, but it's it's not something I would I would dismiss out of hand if, if a club came asking about him. Uh, the other one that really has come up a lot is Parish, uh, particularly with Shields' improved form over the the second half of the season. Um, it's we, part of it. Part of it's down to injury, but we've never been had never had a side that's had maximum output from both Parish and Shield. So I guess you, you ask the question whether it's um, you ask the question whether it's it's something that, that can work or whether you look at moving him on. He's also a year away from free agency, so there's potential that um, you decide to go next year anyway. You might be able to get more value for him this year and then, you know, maybe turn a parish into a, a lot, maybe turn parish into Dunkley, say, for example, with the, with the pick you get for him. So, um, again, you know, unless it's a massive offer, I'm not doing it. Um, and, you know, I think we've spoken a lot about not having enough players to run through the midfield and, and I'm talking about trading out one of our best midfielders. So taking out one of those peacocks doesn't fix the issue. And I guess at the end of the day, a lot really depends on the vision for the side, the new the new coach has and, and, and the footballer. Sorry, it may be that some contracted players are disillusioned and, you know, are looking for a move. And so the best thing the club could do in that situation is to try and get value for them and build a united core um, of players that are all pulling on the same wavelength. Do you have any thoughts regarding list management? Uh, yeah, Parrish for me, mate, is, is untouchable. I think Shields, you know, he's 29. He's had some injuries. I think he's still got some good footy ahead of him. But he, um, uh, yeah, I, I think he's coming to the end of his, you know, he might only have three or four years left, whereas, you know, Parrish has still got another eight years of good footy behind him and we we only used the four midfielders on Saturday night and if you look at the rest of our list it was only Hobbs as a genuine midfielder who didn't play I know we had Langford and and whatnot out and and Stringer who 
who went off injured, who can play bits and pieces in the midfield. But and and Perkins is the other one who should develop into an AFL mid in time. But I don't think that's anywhere near enough midfield depth in the twenty two, let alone uh, you know on your entire list. So I think we need to add midfielders, not you know get rid of them. And and I think it's just a challenge for the new coaching group to get the Paris Shield, Merritt, Caldwell, plus Hobbs, etc. Uh, combination working and, and finding, you know, potentially other roles for Parrish and, and Merritt to, to break things up uh, throughout a game. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk draft and trades, I think, a bit more in the in the next couple of weeks. And, and I do have some uh, – there's a couple of names on my whiteboard, so to speak, that I think we could maybe put up to, to have a look at and see if we could address some real needs on our list where, where maybe we've got some surplus. Um, but I'll, I'll save that conversation, I think, for – for next week. Um, let's talk AFLW, mate. The, the season openers on Saturday night uh, at Marvel Stadium against the Hawks at, at 7.10. Yeah, look, and great work by the people behind the Move It to Marvel campaign. Uh, the response um, of fans fans to that is, is immense. You know, the, the original uh, venue was sold out quite quickly and so it seemed like it was inevitable that it was going to be moved. So, you know, having a huge crowd there for the debut of the, of the AFLW girl um, side is going to be amazing. Um, obviously the response of the fans to the VFLW premiership was fantastic. And hopefully that momentum carries on into the inaugural AFLW season. So, you know, you know, with our experience with, with uh, the club we play, our cricket club, you know, that just how much of a positive impact having a, a women's team has been to, to that in, in that environment. And I imagine uh, the arrival of the AFLW side, on Saturday night, should make the um, Essendon Football Club a grander play to be a grander place to be at. Now, um, I I'm not going to be talking with any level of uh, you know knowledge of, of the AFLW side. It's a real uh, area of weakness for me at the moment. I'm looking forward to uh, getting to know more about uh, the players and and how they how they intend to play uh, the game over the next few weeks. But um, Sportsbet has Essendon a dollar six favourites. A dollar oh six favourites uh, against Hawthorne. So fingers crossed they can put away the Hawks and start the season on a high. Yeah, it's always good to to beat the Hawks, mate. Regardless of you know AFL, AFLW, VFL, VFLW. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to sitting down and, and having a look at that one. Uh, kudos to uh, the Don's fan. Apologies, I can't remember who it was who who did tweet today. After a long arduous off season for Essendon, it's great to have footy back. Uh, that yeah, that did uh, that did give me a bit of a smile. Um, we did get a really good question from Silver Top Hills, uh, who's been a big supporter of ours throughout this season, around where we should look to play Massimo D'Ambrosio going forward, and and we both got our um, our abacus and spreadsheets out and and crunched the numbers and watched the vision and have put together a pretty comprehensive answer, but. We've been rabbiting on for nearly an hour, so we're we're going to park that one. I think to to next week, mate. We're we're not going anywhere uh, anytime soon. So yeah, we, we need to fill some some content, um, uh, fill some episodes up. So we'll park that one for next week. But mate, you've been working away in between bottle feeds and uh, and and changing nappies on a, a bit of a, uh, a schedule for us. Uh, you know, for the coming weeks, uh, for those that are. Still managed to hang on and, and listen an hour on almost. Uh, what have you got planned for us? 
Yeah, so uh, next week's going to be our full season review. Now, this episode we're going to do as a, as a pre-record, so it's not going to be on Twitter Spaces, uh, but it will come out at the usual time, so you'll, you'll get it in your feeds on Thursday night. Uh, the following Thursday, uh, so it won't, should, hopefully it doesn't clash with uh, the, the semifinals. I think the semi, I assume the semifinals will be Friday, Saturday night of the, of the AFL of that week. Uh, we'll be having our audience Q&A episode. So that's going to be recorded on Twitter Spaces as normal. Uh, so it's going to be made up of uh, pre-submitted questions and live responses from people in, in the Twitter space. So um, you can send us your questions directly on Twitter, um, DM them to us, or you can send them... Um, via email on domthestat at gmail.com. And obviously, if you want to jump on and ask a particular question without notice and, and see if you can stump us, um, join us for that. Um, join us for that. Uh, I know you've, you've been talking a lot about looking at uh, the, the final sides and, and what we need to do to get there. And we'll do something uh, particularly around preliminary final week, looking at those, those top four sides and what they have that we don't, what we need to work towards. Um, and yeah, we've um, got some other stuff, obviously, around the drafts and trade period, um, as well as putting together some more bonus episodes. So um, our fourth bonus episode is coming out on Monday, uh, featuring one of the driving forces behind the club's 150th celebration. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this one, mate. We we got the chance to spend some time with Dr. Dan Eddy yesterday uh, when he accepted the the request to to come on and, and talk to us. I. I literally jumped out, uh, jumped off the couch. I think anyone who's who's listened to us this year would know that I'm a, a big Essendon, yeah, a big a lover of of the history of Essendon and the stories of Essendon, and he knows more about it than anyone. And, and he shared some some really great stories mm-hmm. that, yeah, you know, some of them that were covered in the documentary in the book, but but also some of them that didn't, and and also shared some of his own story and, and about his connection to Essendon and, and how it came about that he was. Yeah, how he became an Essendon fan, and then also an author. Um, you know, starting with his his first book on on Dick Reynolds. So, yeah, that one will will hit the podcast feeds on Monday morning. And and if I think most Essendon fans have probably come across Dan this year with the great work that he's doing in you know sharing the the daily birthday posts and and those kind of things. But if you haven't been to his website, uh, it, it, there's a video up of, of a talk that he gave in regards to his own challenges with mental health and and how writing helped him. So if you do have a spare 10 minutes or so, I do recommend jumping on. I think you just Google Dan Eddy books and you'll find it. And, and having a look at that, it's a, it's a great message. And, and you know, Dan's a, a, another great essence uh, person, you know, uh, never pulled on the jumper, but um, has contributed significant amounts to the club. So, yeah, that, that was a, a great chat. And, um, yeah, I think even I'll listen back to that one. I don't normally listen to our shows, but that's one that I, I will give a listen. Yeah, check it check it out on, on Monday morning. Good for that commute to work on on at the start of the week. Um, I say this a lot, but I just want to again, you know, we're at the end of the end of the the season for Essendon in terms of games. But I want to give a big thanks to everyone who's stuck with us this season as we've grown this podcast. Um, we were worried when we started with the Twitter Spaces that we wouldn't get anyone to listen, uh, but we've been so surprised and humbled by the the huge support we've received, um, and I think just the interactions that we've had with with fans, particularly on on Twitter. Um, you know, just the the general, you know, willingness to learn and and understand each other's viewpoints. I think it's really really good and is something that you know is, has made what's been a really tough season a whole lot more enjoyable for us. So um, I don't 
you know, most most pods do this every week, and I've, I've tried to avoid it because I don't want to come off as, as begging and, and beseeching. But uh, if you've enjoyed the pod this year, um, you know, we ask if you leave us a rating review on, on Apple or Spotify. Um, really helps get the word out about the pod and, and hopefully help us grow our community into next season. Um, obviously, doing our, our postseason review shows and the like, um, you know, is, is something people are going to be able to access. You know, it's, it's not as... It's not as uh, urgent to listen to a, a, a post-season review um, as it is a match preview. So people hopefully will be checking that out over the next uh, next couple of months. Um, if, you, if you can't do that, you know, recommend us to an Essendon uh, supporting family or friend. Um, more people that get involved, uh, the better. Yeah, here, here, mate. And, you know, it, not that we're making any money from this, but, you know, you do have an extra mouth to feed now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the more listeners, the, the better. Um, no, you're right. The interactions have been great. It's actually one of the best things is as someone who is a, a you know, I like to consider myself a student of the game. I like to, to try and obviously analyze it and learn how it's being played. There's been so many great interactions that have with people that have got a great football knowledge and it's really driven me to, to watch more footy, which sometimes throughout this year has been a challenge and other times it's been a delight and, and really driven my own football knowledge as well. So, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly concur and, and thanks everyone for listening and looking forward to the Dan Eddie episode coming out on Monday, but also um, doing a few more shows with you, mate. Uh, it's been a lot of fun as always. So, yeah, go Dons. Hopefully there's some good news uh, coming from the club over the next couple of weeks and um, and things can start to settle down. And, and as fans, we can all move forward together and, and start to look forward to cheering our club. And, and good luck to the AFLW team on Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely. Go Dons.